blanket down. Uh, those pizza boxes over there have been my favorite. Have have been? As in for a... W- okay, cut it. We're going to shelf this episode and shoot another revisit episode in a year. Try to clean some of it up, if you can, by then. Okay? Oh, okay, man. Right. Okay. On season two of House Hunters International, we help Jared find the perfect studio apartment in Tokyo, Japan, and finally live out the dream of his favorite films. Now we're back two years later to see how he's adjusting to life in the big sake. Hey, Brody. Try to show you how I finally found my way in Japan. That's great, Jared. Let's take a... What the fuck? It's exactly the same. Look again. New gaming laptop. Is that a bottle of your own urine? Intel Core 1.9 processors and a removable graphics card, dude. you can't put posters of naked women on your walls. We told you we were filming today. Dude, it's not porn. It was all drawn by hand. Why are there so many cups? Do you ever use them twice? Uh, no, I just get the new ones shipped out. Jared, maybe it's time you move back home. What? No, I love this. Hey, take a break from the social isolation and come out to All Jokes, the daytime outdoor comedy show at All Good Pizza in Bayview on Saturday, August 22nd at 3 p.m., where Drea Myers hosts a super funny lineup of comedians. Grab some brick oven pizza and enjoy the show in an outdoor courtyard with plenty of room to be physically distanced. See you soon at All Good Pizza for this tremendous outdoor comedy show at 1605 Gerald Avenue in the Bayview. That's all jokes at Good Pizza with Drea Myers, Saturday, August 22nd at 3 p.m. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> my name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, Depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And 
invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Italian, and we brought you fascismus with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. Want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience, like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshops, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's Altacast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. Welcome to Strictly Bad Vibes, your personal complaint department. Uh, what, what the hell are we talking about? Um, whiny people and their stupid complaints that we requested they send us.
Why did we do this? Why, why are we <laughs> None of which matters in this equation because it is his choice to carry such horse shit on the fucking train. And he was yelling. He was like, Mobed bitch, Mobed bitch. And, uh, and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm just not. I'm not moving it, you know. I've arrived. Why should I move? I don't like what work has been giving us at our free lunches. 115-340-1976, and it does not spell anything. 115-340-1976. Go for it. Call in, guys. Are the end times upon us? Not yet, my friends. Please, this is an impassioned plea from Pam Benjamin, the director of Mutiny Radio. Let us live past October. You think it's a joke? COVID is decimating all of us, and especially us here at Mutiny Radio. We have money left until October 1st. Don't let anyone sing, despite of their size. Please. Please go donate to our GoFundMe. Go to mutinyradio.fm and click that GoFundMe button. Or just go to Venmo. Mutiny Radio, all one word. Just Mutiny Radio. Give us five bucks. Help us keep free speech and radical self-expression real and alive here in San Francisco and all over the world. Please donate to our Mutiny Radio GoFundMe and keep us alive in 2020 and beyond. Don't let our world end. LSD, fap, acid, fapping, fapping, acid, acid, fapping, fapping, acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you, that song is called Acid and Fapping. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of mutiny radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship 
as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl.
not sure I could They say Time heals everything But I'm still sure I could They say time heals everything But I'm still
so many places in my life and time. I've sung a lot of songs. I've made some bad ones. I've acted out my life in stages with 10,000 people watching. But we're alone now, and I'm singing this song to you. I know your image of me is what I hope to be. I treated you unkindly, but darling, can't you see? There's no one more important to me. singing this song to you. You taught me precious secrets of a true love holding nothing. You came out in front when I was hiding. Listen to the melody, cause my love is in there hiding. singing this song to you. There's no space or time. I love you for my life. You're a friend of mine. And when my life is over, remember 
Good morning, labor fans. We got off a little late today. Sorry about that. <coughs> For a couple of very good reasons, which I'll get to later. This is the Labor and Love Show, and you're tuned to Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio, a community arts collective at 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida. One of our community services is this radio show and the array of different radio shows we have for every interest here during the week. Come on down to Mutiny Radio. The coronavirus hasn't really stopped us. It's just moved us outside and made us more determined to bring you true underground radio. Shows like this, Labor and Love, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, that is, then you're on the menu. Imagine other people are making decisions about your life and your time. Decisions that uh, you'll probably have to obey. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Yes, Labor and Love Radio, where the rubber meets the road, where the labor meets the road. Of course, they don't want you to have unions. <laughs> Let's listen to that one. Why the rich love destroying unions. It's from Francesca Fiorentini. One second. Francesca. Okay, let's listen to some music.
don't mean a thing of it. Don't got that swing by Edward Kennedy Ellington and his orchestra. Ivy Anderson, maybe? I don't know who that, that singer was. Why do the rich hate unions so much? There we go. Francesca Fiorentino. Unless you're a non-union worker, in which case that injury was your fault. And by the way, you owe your boss a new forklift. The United States has an incredible history of organized labor, and yet this year the Supreme Court might hammer one of the last nails into the coffin of American unions, which have been losing power for decades. So who's killing off unions so successfully? And on a related note, how do you sew Nikes? Have you ever wondered, how come kids don't work in coal mines anymore? And why do we only work 40 hours a week? And where did the weekend come from? He's so sultry. They all came from the American labor movement of the 19th and early 20th centuries, one made up of immigrants, communists, socialists, anarchists, and other workers who fought unfair bosses and corporations and were repressed for decades until they finally achieved their Marxist agenda of workplace safety regulations. Our labor history is so badass that May 1st, International Workers' Day, which is celebrated in over 100 countries, started in the United States. It commemorated the 1886 Chicago Haymarket Affair, when police and labor unionists were killed during protests to shorten the workday to eight hours. But because President Grover Cleveland thought we shouldn't commemorate such a violent day, we're the only country that celebrates our own Labor Day in September. So if you think about it, we're like May Day scabs. So how have our union roots held up through world wars, Reaganism, and global free trade? Not well. Since the 1960s, union membership has declined. And along with it, the middle class family income has plummeted. And overall membership is now at a 97-year low. Just 11.1% of wage and salary workers belonged to a union last year. That's almost half the union membership rate in the 1980s. Damn. Unions are half of what they were in the 80s. The only other thing that was half of what it was in the 80s is the purity of cocaine. I can't feel my face when I'm with you. I'm just kidding, I do not do cocaine because it's like the least woke drug, even though it makes you very woke. And you think that since we're told by this president and other Republicans how much their party cares about working people, we might hear more from them about supporting labor unions. Instead, you hear them professing to support workers with something that sounds similar. I support right to work. Well, I think right to work is a good thing. We signed right to work because it's very clear that it leads to more jobs. Creating jobs, growing the economy, and keeping pace with the modern world. That's what right to work is all about. I support right to work. I actually, as president, will sign and advocate for a right to work bill. Ooh, spoiler alert, Rick. You never make it to the White House. You become a Republican pollstering doll on CNN. Sometimes you don't even show up, they just replace you with a wax sculpture and swear to God, no one can tell the difference. So what do they mean when they say right to work? Well, just like any Republican talking point, it's pretty much the opposite of what it says. Right to work is legislation that has been enacted in 28 states. And what it does is prevent unions from charging compulsory fees, even though all workers, whether they pay dues or not, benefit from union activity. That includes things like collective bargaining for increased wages and employer-provided health care. Right-to-work laws, however, encourage workers to not pay at all because without paying unions, they'll still get union representation. But for unions, those laws will mean that they'll be starved of the funds they need to actually operate and advocate for workers, leading to fewer benefits and fewer rights overall. 
Imagine labor unions are like the Beatles. What's good for John and Paul is also good for George and Ringo. George may have written Here Comes the Sun, but all four Beatles got the number one hit record. But then right to work legislation is passed and all of a sudden a bunch of no talent hippie hangers on show up with guitars thinking they could be in the Beatles without paying their dues, leeching off the Beatles success. One thing leads to another and George stops sharing his songs with the band and Paul is like, I want the right to work on my own album. And John's like, then I'll go solo as well. And Ringo is like, whatever happened to a little love for my friends? And boom, the Beatles are busted. Anyway, how have workers felt about these right-to-work laws? We have the right to have a good wage and, and that, that we have a right to say what happens in our life and they're trying to take it away from us. Don't forget all these benefits people have that aren't in a union. The unions brought those benefits to everybody right. and they should be thankful for that. Wow. That's the first angry white guy protesting in a helmet and screaming about brotherhood that I actually agree with. Union workers resent right-to-work laws because despite what human skid mark on a quilt Mitch McConnell says, right-to-work has ended up weakening unions' power and hurting workers. Unionization in right-to-work states has been on the decline, and while there may be more businesses and jobs moving into those states, wages are lower in right-to-work states. So the wave of right-to-work laws hasn't helped workers or unions, and that doesn't take a rocket scientist to put together. I've always had a very good relationship with labor, but I also understand it's more expensive, it costs a lot of money, and there is a downside. And it's very interesting because I never thought I'd see it. I've never thought I'd see what's going on in Wisconsin and so many other states right now. It's a tough time for unions. Wow. You know, finding a semi-cogent truth from Donald Trump is like finding a four-leaf clover growing in your bathtub. Sure, it's rare, but it's definitely not good luck. And in that clip from 2011, Trump implies that having fewer unionized workers is good because it's cheaper for employers, which is exactly the group the politicians who push anti-union laws are looking out for. It's not about a worker's right to choose to unionize. It's about making it easier for employers to hire a workforce that's more desperate and has fewer demands. Listen closely to how they frame it. If we don't pass right to work, we will lose out on the Volvos who just passed us by and went to South Carolina. Making America more competitive in the 21st century. We've watched closely what's going on in Indiana. They've seen many more companies look at Indiana, citing this as one of the factors, and they could have thousands more jobs in that state because they became a right-to-work state. They're basically admitting that when faced with a global economy full of cheap labor and corporations looking to cut costs, American workers shouldn't be protected with labor laws. Instead, they should race to the bottom. Right-to-work pushers don't look at an elementary school and think, these kids are the future. They look at them and think, those nimble little fingers look ready to sew handbags. And ironically, some working class, yes, even some union members, voted for Trump because they probably thought he was going to be on their side. But this president and his appointment to the Supreme Court, the T-1000 of terminating workers' rights, might mean right-to-work laws could soon go nationwide. The Supreme Court is taking on a new case with the potential to financially cripple labor unions that represent government workers. Yeah, government workers including firefighters, police officers, and teachers. And even though the Supreme Court already ruled 40 years ago that unions could constitutionally collect fees from all employees for things like collective bargaining, they're revisiting the issue. And if Gorsuch votes the way he probably will, it will totally cripple the power of public sector unions and workers in the remaining 22 states that don't have right-to-work laws.
And that would be a huge win for not just people who don't believe in unions, but for the billionaire interests that are behind both right-to-work laws and these kinds of court cases. And those do seem like they take a rocket scientist to figure out because there are a ton of corporations, right-wing think tanks, and foundations who are pouring millions into the effort to kill unions. And since there's been a bit of a work speed up here at Newsbroke, my boss says I have to get more information into less time, so brace yourselves because we're going to go through a lot. Right-to-work laws have been pushed by ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, which you can think of like a group bathhouse where lawmakers are floated legislation written by corporate lobbyists from places like ExxonMobil, Pfizer, State Farm, and yes, even the Cracker Barrel, because you don't want to know about the apple butter lobby. ALEC also receives money from the Koch brothers, the most heartless white male brothers since the albino twins from the Matrix sequels, whose other foundation, Americans for Prosperity, has supported anti-union efforts around the country. There's also the $800 million Bradley Foundation, whose CEO became Scott Walker's campaign manager in Wisconsin, and who Paul Ryan once called his political godfather. The foundation has given $133 million to the State Policy Network, or the SPN, which is an umbrella group of 66 think tanks and 87 other groups that has an annual budget of $80 million and whose sole focus is to undermine unions. Included in the SPN are the Illinois Policy Institute and the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, which have helped challenge union dues in courts by getting right-wing attorneys to find public workers to file suits like the one the Supreme Court will soon decide on. The National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation is funded by Donors Trust and Donors Capital, which are, again, Koch Brothers affiliated slush funds that are often referred to as dark money ATMs of the right. The foundation is also funded by the Walton family of Walmart, a company that requires its employees to watch anti-union training videos like this one. But the reality is, you're not the only one looking to get your foot in the door at Walmart. Now, you might have heard stories on the news, read about it in the paper, or seen it on the internet, but labor unions are really interested in Walmart and have spent millions of dollars specifically focused on us. We don't think that a labor union is necessary here. We usually don't spend a lot of time talking about them. I mean, we don't talk about much of anything other than these everyday low prices. Oh, guess I missed my lunch break. <laughs> That's okay, I'll eat next week. If these aforementioned think tanks and foundations can successfully destroy public sector unions, they can do two other things. Undermine public education, which they've been trying to privatize for years, and getting rid of teachers unions is key in that. And two, cut off funding for Democratic candidates, because billionaires want to be the only ones to tip the scales in Washington. And if all that weren't bad enough, Neil Gorsuch gave a speech last September to the Fund for American Studies, a member group of, yep, the Anti-Union State Policy Network, so he will probably be that tie-breaking vote needed to kill public sector unions. Or he might have a freak accident involving a yacht and a whale and a bolt of lightning, causing him to suddenly switch souls with a giant mammal and enabling him to finally feel empathy for the first time and cast his vote in support of unions. You know, like Freaky Friday, but more like 40-hour work weeky Friday. But all is not lost. Despite unions being at their lowest in decades, 61% of Americans actually approve of them. And unions have been behind recent wins, like for auto workers, flight attendants, and what do you know, workers at the Trump Hotel in Las Vegas. But to protect working class Americans, we might have to dig deep into our collective memory and maybe listen to the immigrants and socialists among us and get back to our former badass American selves. You know, back when maybe America was great except for all the racism and sexism and xenophobia. We didn't wash a lot. After all, who doesn't love the weekend? I can't feel my face when I'm with you. Don't do cocaine. Don't do cocaine.
Thanks so much for watching News Rogue. Once again, I'm Francesca Fiorentini. Follow me on Twitter at Franny Fio. And please share this video with your networks and let them know about the importance of unions and the Supreme Court decision that will be coming up very soon. And hey, show us some solidarity and give us a five-star review on our Facebook watch page. And if you're on YouTube, subscribe right now. Okay, that was Francesca Fiorentini. <coughs> I think that commentary is maybe a year and a half. Was it, she was talking, of course, about the Janus decision, which gives non-union workers a right to freeload off the work of unions. So if we work in a factory or we work at a company, I'm union. Something happens to you, you're treated unfairly, you have a claim against the company, the union has to carry your case. Any gains the union makes, you get them. You're a freeloader. You have the right not to pay union dues. How about this one? I haven't heard this one. Coming right up, 1965. Mm -hmm. People get ready to have a train a-coming. You don't need no baggage, you just get on. So people get ready for the train to Jordan. Picking up passengers coast to coast. Faith is the key. Open the doors and bowl them. There's hope for all among us Chances grow thinner, but there's no hiding place 
against the kingdom's throne. So people get ready. There's a train of coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel's humming. Don't need no ticket. You just
crops are all in and the peaches are rotten the oranges are packed in the creosote dumps they're flying them back to the mexican border to save all their money then wade back again my father's own father he waited that forever others before him have done just the same they died in the hills and they died in the valleys some went to heaven without any name goodbye to my one goodbye rosalita adios mi amigo jesus maria you won't have a name when you ride the big airplane all they will call Some of us are illegal and others not wanted. Our work contracts out and we have to move on. 600 miles to the Mexican border. They chase us like rustlers, like outlaws, like thieves. Goodbye to my one, goodbye Rosalita. Adios me. Sky plane caught fire over Los Gatos Canyon. A fireball of thunder, it shook all the hills. Who are all of these dear friends scattered like dry leaves? The radio said they were just deportees.
I know I play deportees a lot on this show, but it's such a, a deep-hearted song, a song that looks at people who usually nobody else looks like, looks at, are farm workers. As you drive down the five or any of the big freeways in California to where there's farmland, see them in little groups working along. All they will call you is just deportees after your plane crashes and you die. Well, let's see. I wanted to do radio labor. I don't know if it's ready for us. Radio labor. Their labor report. Okay, I guess it's not ready yet. Let's look at some labor history in two minutes. And then we'll take our break and come right back. Okay, radio labor in two minutes. Here we go. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History. This song we're all going to do this for you now. This day in Labor History, the year was 1977. This may be the that best song the you ever heard your whole life. In Youngstown, Ohio, as Black Monday. The Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company announced plans to close its doors, laying off more than 4,000 workers. Youngstown Let's cue this up again. Radio labor, labor in two minutes. In labor history in two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1977. That was the day that is remembered in Youngstown, Ohio, as Black Monday. The Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company announced plans to close its doors, laying off more than 4,000 workers. Youngstown was a steel town. During the first half of the 20th century, plants were booming. Youngstown was also a union town, a stronghold for the United Steelworkers by the 1940s. But by the 1970s, the once booming steel industry was going bust in Youngstown. More and more jobs moved overseas and to states with less union protections. Black Monday began a devastating series of plant closings. Two years later, Briar Hill Mill closed, followed in 1980 by U.S. Steel. In 1985, it was Republic Steel's turn. By the early 1990s, the steel industry, which had once employed 40,000 people, only had 1,000 workers left in Youngstown. William Lawson, the executive director of the Mahoning Valley Historical Society, recalled the impact of the closings, saying, quote, Over the course of my high school career, many boys and girls I had known in grade school left some in the middle of school years, most during the summers, as their parents accepted transfers to work in other plants around the country or lost their jobs and went out in search of employment elsewhere. In 1997, the Jeanette Furnace at the shuttered Briar Hill plant was dynamited, despite preservationists' efforts to save it. Bringing down the Sweet Jenny Furnace became symbol of Youngstown's economic ruin, memorialized in this Bruce Springsteen song. Like what you hear? Check out more at laborhistoryin2.com.
Okay, the famous Youngstown Furnace, Youngstown, Ohio. How about the Atlanta Compromise? This is where Booker T. Washington declared a compromise. Segregation, but progress. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1895. That was the day that Booker T. Washington delivered what came to be known as the Atlanta Compromise Speech, which outlined his vision for race relations and black labor in the South. Washington was the founder of the Tuskegee Normal and Industrial Institute, a college designed to train black students for careers in teaching, farming, and other trades. Washington was invited to give an address to the Cotton States and International Exposition in Atlanta. It was the first time that a black man was asked to speak before a black and white Southern audience. In his speech, he urged Southern landowners and business leaders to employ black labor over European immigrants. He said, quote, to those of the white race who look to the incoming of those of foreign birth and strange tongue and habits for the prosperity of the South, were I permitted, I would repeat what I say to my own race. Cast down your bucket where you are. He continued, cast it down among those people who have, without strikes and labor wars, tilled your fields, cleared your forests, built your railroads and cities, and brought forth treasures from the bowels of the earth and helped make possible this magnificent representation of the progress of the South. His speech outlined a plan for gradual black economic advancement. He declared, quote, agitation of questions of social equality is the extremist folly. Other black leaders, most notably W.E. Du Bois, rejected Booker T. Washington's idea of gradual advancement. Instead, Du Bois fought racial discrimination through the legal system and helped to found the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People the NAACP. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1934. That was the day that leading Southern textile employers met together in Greenville, North Carolina. They met to plan a coordinated response to the national textile strike. The Great Depression had ravaged the textile industry. Workers were subject to the, quote, stretch out. Fewer workers were expected to work at a faster pace to produce the same amount of products. Work in textile mills was already grueling. The stretch out made conditions even more unbearable. Fed up, 20,000 Southern workers walked off the job in July. From there, the numbers grew. On Labor Day, 65,000 workers in North Carolina joined the strike. Strikers confronted scabs and moved to close down mills not participating in the strike. They also disrupted railroad traffic. 
In response, the National Guard was called out against the strikers. Violence erupted between the strikers and armed police and strike breakers throughout the South and New England. The Southern owners decided it was time to marshal their own response to the strike. According to historian Jeremy Brecker, an army of 10,000 National Guardsmen was mobilized in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, and Mississippi, supplemented by 15,000 armed deputies. But despite this show of force, the strike grew. More than 400,000 textile workers had walked off the job. In response, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's administration declared that the working conditions and wages in the industry should be studied. Although there were no guarantees for improvement, union leaders called off the strike. Much to the anger of many rank-and-file union members, one of the largest worker actions in U.S. history and one of the most important uprising of Southern labor was ended. Okay, one more... Um heard a lot lately about sports unions, about players acting in concert, uh, putting their own mark on the game, aside from just what they do on the, on the field, or in this case, on the ice. This is the NHL, how the NHL got started, uh, the players union. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 2004. That was not a good day for hockey fans. The National Hockey League owners locked out the players. The owners and the players union could not come to an agreement on issues including pay, free agency rules, and drug testing. League owners also wanted to implement a salary cap. The Players Association objected. The first game of the season was supposed to take place on October 13th. But across the country, the arenas stood silent. As the impasse dragged on, in February, the league announced the season was canceled. The Associated Press reported, quote, A hockey season on the brink is now a season gone bust. The NHL canceled what was left of its decimated schedule Wednesday after a round of last gasp negotiations failed to resolve differences over a salary cap, the flashpoint issue that led to a lockout. The article continued, quote, no Stanley Cup champion will be crowned. The first time that's happened since 1919, when the two-year-old league called off the finals because of a flu epidemic. It was the first time that a North American professional sports league lost a full season to a labor dispute. Some of the players found work in the European leagues at greatly reduced pay. It's estimated that the league lost $2 billion in the lockout and that players lost a billion in salaries. The impact of the lockout rippled throughout restaurants and other businesses that relied on the hockey crowds, causing layoffs for waitstaff. Finally, in July, an agreement was reached. The players gave in to the owner's demand for a salary cap. In 2012, another lockout by management cost NHL players another half of the season. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at... Okay, sort of a different, you know, mixed bag of labor actions there. The NHL, how the NHL Players Union was started, a guy named Todd Lindsay uh, for the Detroit Red Wings. was the major agitator and sort of a, a union guy who went around and tried to get players to join the union. He was frozen out. He was basically blacklisted. 
although he was one of the leading scorers in hockey, professional hockey at the time, uh, he was blacklisted. We had a, a the one about the South, a big textile workers strike. 65,000 textile workers. 400,000 workers had walked off the job. It was 1934. Booker T. Washington was uh, at one point the most important, widely recognized black man in the country. He was an educator. He uh, started Tuskegee University, hired people like George, George Washington, anyway. <laughs> um, Luther Burbank, things like that from Tuskegee University, anyway. And uh, he's, he's talking about how the races could get along, which was basically for blacks to accept social subservience in return for the opportunity of economic progress. Okay? And um, kind of bragged about the fact that Blacks would never uh, organize or join strikes. Okay, let's listen to some jazz now. Back on the other side.
Strange Fruit, which I will definitely do. Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday was uh, the thing about it was when it came out. It came out in 1939. Words were written by uh, a high school teacher. And um, Billy Holiday, he, he showed the song, I guess, to uh, Billie Holiday, and she decided she would sing it. And it caused such a stir for even to mention uh, that lynchings were going on in good old U.S. of A. So here it is, Billie Holiday, Strange Fruit. Get rid of these. Don't get we get rid of these uh, commercials? Okay. Guess we're still waiting. A after uh, Billy Holiday, I want to read a couple of uh, poems about April. I mean about, pardon me, about October. Okay. And now a little tune written especially for me, Strange Fruit. Trees bear strange 
blood on the leaves and blood at the root black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees pastoral scene of the gallant south the bulging eyes and the twisted mouth scent of magnolia sweet and fresh then the sudden smell of burning flesh here is a fruit for the crows to pluck for the rain together for the suck for the sun to rot for the tree to drop here is a strange and bitter Billie Holiday with her classic, Strange Fruit. I want to read a couple of poems now. Well, read one and uh, play one. <coughs> the Coming of Autumn. It's called Ode to Autumn and uh, by John Keats, famous English poet from the early uh, 19th century. And then we'll run uh, Jack Kerouac's beautiful prose poem, October in the Railroad Earth. John Keats. See what they got reading it. To Autumn by John Keats. Season of mists and mellow fruitfulness, close bosom friend of the maturing sun, conspiring with him how to load and bless with fruit the vines that round the thatch eaves run. To bend with apples the mossed cottage trees, And fill all fruit with ripeness to the core, To swell the gourd, and plump the hazel shells With a sweet kernel, to set budding more, And still more, later flowers for the bees, Until they think warm days will never cease, For summer has o'erbrimmed their clammy cells.
Who hath not seen thee oft amid thy store? Sometimes whoever seeks abroad may find thee sitting careless on a granary floor, thy hair soft lifted by the winnowing wind, or on a half-reaped furrow sound asleep, drowsed with the fume of poppies, while thy hook spares the next swath and all its twined flowers. And sometimes, like a gleaner, thou dost keep steady thy laden head across a brook, or by a cider press, with patient look, thou watchest the last oozings hours by hours. Where are the songs of spring? Ay, where are they? Think not of them. Thou hast thy music, too. While barred clouds bloom the soft-dying day and touch the stubble plains with rosy hue, then in a wailful choir the small gnats mourn among the river sallows, borne aloft or sinking as the light wind lives or dies. And full-grown lambs loud bleat from hilly bourne, hedge crickets sing, and now with treble soft the redbreast whistles from a garden croft, and gathering swallows twitter in the skies. There was a little alley in San Francisco, back of the Southern Pacific Station at 3rd and Townsend, in red brick of drowsy, lazy afternoons with everybody at work and offices. In the air, you feel the impending rush of their commuter frenzy. As soon, they'll be charging en masse for market and sansom buildings on foot and in buses and all well-dressed through working man Frisco of walk-up truck drivers. And even the poor grime be marked Third Street of lost bums, even Negroes so hopeless and long left east and meanings of responsibility and try, that now all they do is stand there spitting in the broken glass, sometimes 50 in one afternoon against one wall at 3rd and Howard. It is all these Milbray and San Carlos neat necktied producers and commuters of America and steel civilization rushing by with San Francisco Chronicles and green called bulletins, not even enough time to be disdainful. They've got to catch 130, 132, 134, 136, all the way up to 146, till the time of evening supper in homes of the railroad earth, when high in the sky the magic stars ride above the following hot shot freight trains. It's all in California. It's all a sea. I swim out of it in afternoons of sun-hot meditation in my jeans with head on handkerchief on brakeman's lantern, or if not working, on book. I look up at blue sky of perfect lost purity, and feel the warp of wood of old America beneath me. 
and I have insane conversations with Negroes in second story windows above, and everything is pouring in. The switching moves of boxcars in that little alley, which is so much like the alleys of Lowell, and I hear far off in the sense of coming night that engine calling our mountains. But it was that beautiful cut of clouds I could always see above the little SP alley, puffs floating by from Oakland, or the gate of Marin to the north or San Jose south, the clarity of Cal to break your heart. It was the fantastic drowse and drum hum of lum mum afternoon, nothing to do. Old Frisco with end of land sadness. The people, the alley full of trucks and cars of businesses nearabouts. Nobody knew or far from cared who I was all my life, 3,500 miles from birth all opened up and at last belonged to me in great America. Now it's night in Third Street. The keen little neons and also yellow bulb lights of impossible to believe flops. The dark ruined shadows moving back of torn yellow shades like a degenerate China with no money. The cats in Annie's alley. The flop comes on, moans, rolls. The street is loaded with darkness. Blue sky above with stars hanging high over old hotel roofs and blowers of hotels mooning out dusts of interior. The grime inside the word in mouths is falling out tooth by tooth. The reading rooms tick-tock big clock with creek chair and slant boards and old faces looking up over rimless spectacles bought in some West Virginia or Florida or Liverpool, England pawn shop long before I was born. And across rains, they've come to the end of the land sadness, end of the world gladness. All your San Francisco will have to fall eventually and burn again. But I'm walking, and one night, a bum fell into the hole of the construction job where they're tearing a sewer by day. The husky Pacific and electric youths in torn jeans who work there, often I think of going up to some of them, like, say, blonde ones with wild hair and torn shirts, and they say, you ought to apply for the railroad. It's much easier work. You don't stand around the street all day and you get much more pay. But this bum fell in the hole. You saw his foot stick out. British MG, also driven by some eccentric, once backed into that hole. And as I came home from a long Saturday afternoon local to Hollister, out of San Jose, miles away across virtuous fields of prune and juice joy, here's this British MG backed and legs up, wheels up into a pit and bums and cops standing right outside the coffee shop. It was the way they fenced it, but he never had the nerve to do it due to the fact that he had no money and nowhere to go and oh, his father was dead, and oh, his mother was dead, and oh, his sister was dead, and oh, his whereabout was dead, was dead. But and then at that time also, I used to lay in my room on long Saturday afternoons listening to Jumpin' George with my fifth toque, no tea, and just under the sheets laughed to hear the crazy music. Mama, he treats your daughter mean. Mama, Papa, don't you come in here, I'll kill you, etc. Getting high by myself in room glooms, and all wondrous knowing about the Negro, the essential American, out there, always finding his solace, his meaning, in the Fellaheen street, and not an abstract morality. And even when he has a church, you see the pastor out front bowing to the ladies on the make. You hear his great vibrant voice on the Sunday afternoon sidewalk full of sexual vibratos, saying, why, yes, ma'am, but the gospel do say that man was born of woman's womb. 
<laughs> no, and so by that time I come crawling out of my warm sack and hit the street. When I see the railroad ain't gonna call me till 5 a.m. Sunday morning, probably, for a local out of Bay Shore. In fact, always for a local out of Bay Shore. And I go to the whale bar of all the wild bars in the world, the one and only Third and Howard. And there I go in and drink with the madmen, and if I get drunk, I get. The girl who come up to me in there one night, I was there with Al Buckle, said to me, you wanna play with me tonight, Jim? And I didn't think I, I didn't think I had enough money. And I told this to Charlie Lowe, and he laughed, said, how do you know she wanted money? Always take the chance that she might be out just for love, or just out for love, you know what I mean, don't be a sucker. She was a good-looking doll, and she said, how would you like to ooh you cool with me, mon? And I stood there like a jerk. In fact, bought drink, got drink drunk that night, and in the 299 Club, I was hit by the proprietor, the band breaking up the fight before I had a chance to decide to hit him back, which I didn't want to do anyway. And out on the street, I tried to rush back in, but they had locked the door and were looking at me through the forbidden glass in the door with faces like undersea. I should have played with her shoo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-
Okay, the sky is crying because Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, died this week at the age of 87. The court gives Gins Ginsburg's death gives President Trump a chance to expand the conservative majority with a third appointment at a time of deep divisions in America. Ginsburg, a champion of women's rights, died at her home in Washington of complications from metastatic pancreatic cancer, the court said in a statement. She was surrounded by her family. <coughs> Our nation has lost a jurist of historic stature, John Roberts, Chief Justice, said. We at the Supreme Court have lost a cherished colleague Today we mourn, but with confidence that future generations will remember Ruth Bader Ginsburg as we knew her, a tireless and resolute champion of justice. Her departure could dramatically alter the ideological balance of the court, which it will do. First thing they're going to do is go after Roe versus Wade. The court currently has a 5-4 conservative majority by moving it further to the right. Earlier this year, Political reported that the GOP was prepared to fill any Supreme Court vacancy, despite denying former President Obama the ability to confirm Merrick Garland as a justice to replace the late Antonin Scalia. Supreme Court justices require a simple majority to be confirmed in the high court. And the Republicans control the Senate 53-45. She said in the days before her death, my most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed, NPR reported. Republicans have confirmed eight federal judges over the past week alone and over 200 under Trump, working in, pay in haste ahead of the election, with polls showing they could lose. On September 9th, Trump released a short list of potential Supreme Court picks including, including far-right Senators Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz, former White House lawyer and D.C. Court Judge Greg Katsa. So what does this mean? This, th this is a strike, a wound at uh, progressive people. Justice Ginsburg was the razor's edge, the difference between upholding women's rights of control over their bodies. And Mr. Trump just can't wait to put on someone like Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton, as far as I'm concerned, is a wacko, even by, even by the standards of the Republican Party. Can't 
can't remember, but some of the opinions he's expressed have been really off the wall. See if we can get our radio later. Um, Joe hasn't had radio labor, and I left five minutes for it. Okay, while we're waiting for radio labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor report recorded on Thursday, September 17, 2020. I'm Seymour Ainsborough. As governments around the world review the way their economies will work after the pandemic, more attention is being paid to the role of corporations. Labor is saying that many corporations have abandoned their responsibilities to provide fair wages and community support. The solution, says the International Trade Union Confederation, is to build a new values-based social contract. The ITUC represents national labor centers such as the AFL-CIO in the United States and the Ghana Trades Union Congress at the world level. Sharon Burrow is the ITUC's General Secretary. In a recent webinar, she was asked about the changing role of corporations. She mentions the ILO, the United Nations International Labor Organization. If you go back a hundred years, then in fact, at the end of World War One, World War Two, the Great Depression, we were left with a sense there needed to be global architecture and a global rule of law. The birth of the ILO to set a global floor of rights for workers and social justice, and indeed the UN and its agencies developed over the decade. Multilateralism had a role, and corporations had to live within that. But as we saw, indeed, the growth of globalisation, exploding in the 1980s with hyper-globalisation, the role of the corporation got distorted, you know, extraordinarily. So profit first, as a shareholder model became dominant, so it was about profits back to the company and so on. And workers and communities lost out along the way. You saw the struggle between the American corporate model, which is very anti-people and unions, not all of them. I graduate, I work with some, and they're very, very, you know, humanitarianly-based uh, individuals, but not the norm. And the European social model, which was much more about shared prosperity. But even that started to break down. So the social contract, which had bound a kind of fair, fair competition floor for working people, but also for um, corporations and a development model was actually broken. And wages have gone like that since the 1980s. Our supply chains are dehumanising models of exploitation. And there are many corporate leaders, can I say, around the world trying to rebuild a better future. But the odds are stacked against them when political will is still driven by profit, 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 and people have become excluded. That also means, of course, climate, because the destruction of the, uh, the social model for people, which is about fair wages, social protection, proper benefits, and, of course, environmental sustainability is now at the point where we have a crisis in growth. If you start from a base of values, you know, should, in fact, uh, 
we be able to invest in corporations? Yes. Should shareholders be able to get a moderate and sustainable return on their investment? Yes, but not at the expense of exploitation. But if people are at the centre, communities are at the centre, and of course, you know, for us, employment and climate action go hand in hand because there are no jobs on a dead planet. Our uh, economic structures rape the planet to date, and even though it's very painful for workers, we have to transition in every sector. So as we come out of this crisis, on top of the existing crisis of inequality, climate action, exclusion of based on race or gender or uh, migrant status, then we have to indeed build forward better. Now that means having shared values. We need to build a new social contract where people have rights and prosperity is shared. That's a pretty good basis on which to say to corporations, test your business manager, test your purpose, test your values. More information about Labour's views concerning corporations and the need for a new social contract can be found on the ITUC's website at ituc-csi.org. I'm Seamarie Ainsborough. Thank you for listening. It's just about time for us to leave, go off on a break. It's about time to uh, wrap up another show here. When times get tough, the tough get going. Something like that my dad used to say had bad news, Justice Ginsburg dying, but we got to keep on trucking, we got to keep on organizing. Remember, one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember, if you don't have a seat at the table where you work, the negotiating table that is, you're on the menu. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's a total waste of time. This is the B signing off. I don't know if there'll be another Labor and Love show next week, but we'll have to see. In any case, have a good week and good work.
Myers hosts a super funny lineup of comedians. Grab some brick oven pizza and enjoy the show in an outdoor courtyard with plenty of room to be physically distanced. See you soon at All Good Pizza for this tremendous outdoor comedy show at 1605 Gerald Avenue in the Bayview. That's all jokes at Good Pizza with Drea Myers, Saturday, August 22nd at 3 p.m. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And... Invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor. Italian, and we brought you fascismus with Mussolini, and before that, the Romans. So if you think you live in a fascist country, well, you do. Antitrump.com is the antivirus to the Trump virus. It started in 2016 with two sketches and a dream for a better America. No one thought it would be this bad. He was a 70-year-old yammering Nimrod. How bad could it possibly be? We are now in a global pandemic without adequate leadership. Individual politics are not important. We need to rally behind curing the Trump virus. Go to antitrump.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? 
Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Well, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a soul and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it and don't let the poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at AnalogSubmission.com. Welcome to Strictly Bad Vibes, your personal complaint department. Um, what, what the hell are we talking about? Um, whiny people and their stupid complaints that we requested they send us. Why do we do this? Why, why are we doing this? <laughs> None of which matters in this equation because it is his choice to carry such horse shit on the fucking train. And he was yelling. He was like, move it, bitch, move it, bitch. And, uh, and uh, I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm just not. I'm not moving it, you know. I've arrived. Why should I move? I don't like what work has been giving us at our free lunches. 115-340-1976, and it does not spell anything. 115-340-1976. Go for it. Call in, guys. Are the end times upon us? Not yet, my friends. Please, this is an impassioned plea from Pam Benjamin director of Mutiny Radio. Let us live past October. You think it's a joke? COVID is decimating all of us, and especially us here at Mutiny Radio. We have money left until October 1st. Don't let anyone sing, despite of their size. Please, please go donate to our GoFundMe. Go to Mutiny Radio. .fm and click that GoFundMe button. Or just go to Venmo. Mutiny Radio, all one word. 
just Mutiny Radio. Give us five bucks. Help us keep free speech and radical self-expression real and alive here in San Francisco and all over the world. Please donate to our Mutiny Radio. Go fund me and keep us alive in 2020 and beyond. Don't let our world end. LSD, fap, acid, fapping, fapping, and acid, acid, fapping, fapping, and acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating